This morning, thanks for joining us today, either here in person, maybe online, if you are out spring breaking. I know that our youth group is actually in California, probably driving back uh, in the next couple of hours, but a big group is there. I know students are coming back, lots of folks are out traveling and tripping it up, and so uh, I'm jealous, but I'm grateful to be with you all as well. I'm grateful that you are here uh, with us. Looking forward to today as we uh, continue this series called Remarkable. We are looking at the miraculous stories and the miracles of Jesus as told to us in the book of Mark, kind of in preparation for Easter as we prepare to think about and hopefully have many lives transformed by the greatest miracle of all time, that being the resurrection. It's just three weeks away, if you can imagine that. So we'll talk more about that here in a bit. But uh, looking forward to that and looking forward to this morning. Let me pray for us real fast, and uh, we'll dive into the Word. God, we thank you for this moment and just this space. We thank you for worship, God, that it, it helps us just realign our hearts realign our minds. In this world, Father, we just get out of whack and out of alignment and different passions and priorities come into life and then worship just helps us kind of get centered. And so we thank you for Jackson and the team and leading us in that way. We thank you for song and praise. And now we thank you for some time in the word. We look forward to what you have for us, God. Nobody is here by accident. Believe that every single person is in this room in this moment for a reason. And you have something to say to them, Father. And a word from you, a single word, could change a life. And so would you speak to us now? Speak through me. Speak through Mark chapter 5 and help us to be blessed and changed in a way that, uh, that only you could bring about. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, in Deuteronomy 22.10, God tells his people this. You must not plow with an ox and a donkey harnessed together. That's kind of a weird verse, but what he's trying to say here is that certain things just don't pair well, right? Certain things don't go together. So what this guy's doing right here, that's a big no-no. Hopefully you don't have a selfie or a picture of you doing something similar. Okay, plowing might not resonate with us, but we all know that certain things don't go together, right? We all experienced this before. Here are a few that came to my mind as I was thinking about it this week. For one, orange juice and toothpaste. Anybody else, right? There should be a verse about do never, never take a big swig of orange juice after you've just brushed your teeth. But why do I do that every single morning still? And I gag almost every single time. Another thing that doesn't go together, socks and sandals. I'm sorry if this is your thing, but these just don't go together, right? Especially when they're like knee-high black socks and you're wearing plaid shorts. I don't know why that's like a triple whammy of terrible, but it is. Another thing that doesn't go together, how about Chris Rock and Will and Jada Smith, right? These just don't, these just don't go together, right? And the last one that came to mind for me was uh, me and exercise. I, I don't know why. These just don't go together. Call me crazy or lazy, but I hate working out. Certain things don't go together, but there is actually a pairing that's even more incompatible than all of these things combined. And that is this, comfort and Christianity. Terrible pairing. I love the way that C.S. Lewis says it. If you want a religion that makes you feel really comfortable, well, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And this is a problem if you are anything like me, because I like me some comfy. Anybody else? I like comfy slippers. I like my comfy bed, my comfy sheets, my comfy pillow. I like to be comfortable. And yet here we are in this dichotomy of sorts where it's saying, no, 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 these two things don't blend. Your faith and comfort should never be combined. 2 Corinthians 1, Paul calls the Lord the God of all comfort. 
which means that he comforts us when we're going through hardship. But here's the problem. We hear the God of all comfort. We've actually made a God out of comfort. We've turned comfort into a God of sorts. But comfort and Christianity should never go together. In fact, I would argue that the one is stopping you from experiencing the fullness of the other. And that's what Mark chapter 5 is all about. So again, we're going through the book of Mark, one of the four books that kind of describe the life and times of Jesus. And we're looking at the miracles, the remarkable, miraculous things that he did. And we read some incredible stuff here in Mark chapter 5. you have a Bible, open it there. If not, we'll have it on the screen. It reads like this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake lake and were drowned. Now, I know what you're thinking. This is such a strange story. At least that's what I hope you're thinking, because it is. But before we get too far in it, how many episodes of Stranger Things or Walking Dead have you binge-watched? Let's just be real. We like strange stories, right? So let's unpack this one a little bit. I want you to think back to a time when you were way out of your comfort zone. I mean way out of it. A time when you were thrust into a setting that made you feel incredibly out of place. My mind immediately goes to the time when my wife and I attended a Victory Outreach church service on a Sunday morning. If you know anything about the denomination that is Victory Outreach, then you probably know where this story is headed. During my master's work, I took a ministry class on inner city ministry. And we actually got to shadow pastors up in the Albuquerque area who lived in the worst neighborhoods around. This neighborhood is actually known as the war zone. It's in the international district, crime rates, drug lords. It's it's a terrible place. And these pastors were so hardcore, they moved their families right into the middle of the war zone. They put up with being threatened and harassed, even robbed. They hung out with drug lords. They invited prostitutes into their home, but not like that for Jesus, right? It was this crazy moment, and I was so invigorated by what I saw in their ministry and in their life that I told Becca, we have to go to church one one Sunday morning. We have to go see what these guys do on Sunday morning. So she agreed. Well, you haven't experienced charismatic until you hang out at a Victory Outreach church service. And you haven't fellowshiped with enough tattooed former gangbangers until you worship at a Victory Outreach church church service, and you haven't seen two white suburban middle-class 20-somethings so out of their comfort zone than watching them worship at a Victory Outreach church service. After service was over, which was multiple hours long, by the way, 
We get back into the car, and I remember Becca turning to me, tapping me on the leg and saying, well, that was neat. (laughs) And I just kind of shook my head in stunned silence. Maybe it was a setting like that for you. Maybe it wasn't. But we all know the feeling of being in a situation where we are way out of our comfort zone. We're not in Kansas anymore. And if the disciples, if the 12 followers of Jesus were here today, and I asked them this very question, they would probably tell us what happened to them in Mark chapter 5. This is way, way out of their comfort zone. And it's clear, based on this story, that Jesus does not want his followers being comfy. It was true back then, and it is still true today. Following Christ and being comfortable, they do not pair well. And here's why. Three main reasons. People should never be cast away. Problems should never be swept away. And priorities should never cause Christ to turn away. Let's unpack these three things together. The text here in Mark chapter, or in Mark chapter 5 starts off by saying that the disciples had just arrived at the other side of the lake. Now this lake is the Sea of Galilee. And this is the same Sea of Galilee that we talked about last week where they experienced the sudden squall, the sudden storm. So this story, Mark chapter 5, picks up right where Mark uh, Mark chapter 4 left off. Imagine that. But they had just gone through this sudden storm, right? They were caught off guard by the wind and the waves, and they land at the beach. So they're probably still wringing out their wet clothes, still kind of racking their brains with what just happened back on on the sea. And now you thought you were out of your comfort zone back then? Well, wait till you see what happens here on the shore. So they land across the sea, and the place that they land is known as the region of the Gerasenes. Now this place went by multiple different names, one of them being the Decapolis, because it was actually ten different cities. It was ten cities, though, of misfits, pagans. It was ten cities full of people that didn't fit anywhere else. They had kind of gone their own way and were doing their own thing. They didn't really worship the Lord. They intermarried. They had all kinds of sexual relations with one another. And so they didn't fit in Israel. And so they moved across the sea, and they developed their own set of cities. And so if you were a good old Jewish boy, you would never go across the sea. You would never go to that place. This is like going to the other side of the tracks, the other side of the border. This is extremely uncomfortable. So to go across the sea would have been significant. Jesus is forcing his disciples to reach out to those people that were not like them. But more than that, to reach out to people who didn't like them. That's who's across the sea. He's forcing them to go to a place not only physically that is uncomfortable, this is relationally and spiritually extremely uncomfortable. And he didn't apologize for it. You know, you almost kind of expect to read a verse in there. Like, and Jesus said, sorry, sorry, guys. Like, we're not going to be here for long. I don't mean to get you out of your comfy, cozy homes, you know, back on the other side of the sea. We'll get you there safely. Just give me a few minutes, but we'll get you back. You know, he never apologized, did he? He didn't apologize back then, and he doesn't apologize today. Jesus is always going to push his followers out of their comfort zone. He still wants his followers to cross the sea And to go to those whom we disagree with, whom we disregard, or worse, whom we despise. And here's one reason why Christianity can never be comfortable. Because outsiders are actually called to become insiders. Those whom the world bemoans are actually those who we are called to help belong. We don't cast people away. We're called to show them the way. And that's hard, isn't it? That's uncomfortable. 
It's, for, it's people that don't look like me or think like me or pray like me or believe like me. But the call is clear that Jesus wants me to go to these people to befriend them versus keeping them at a safe distance. Like, why don't you just kind of stay across the sea? You're good over there. I'm good over here. And Jesus says, nope, I'm not okay with that. We're going to cross the sea and we're going to Decapolis. We're going to the folks that this world looks down upon. So who falls into that category for you? As you kind of personalize this story and put yourself in it, you're standing on one side of the sea, and across the water is a group of people. Who's over there for you? Who is it that lives across the sea? Is it those on the opposite end of the political spectrum? Is it those in the LGBTQ plus community? Is it those who openly worship other gods or openly say there is no God? Is it the immigrant community? Is it a lower socioeconomic class? Is it the 1% upper socioeconomic class? Is it the young? Is it the old? Let's be real. Who do you dislike? Christ is calling you to make a new friend with that person. That's what this story is all about. Going across the sea to those that other people complain about or criticize or condemn people that maybe you roll your eyes at or throw verbal grenades over in their camp, that person, yeah, you're called to be their friend. You would rather they stay on their side of the sea, but Jesus, he's not having any of it. We're crossing the sea, and we're going to those people. God cannot have Christianity and comfort go together because outsiders are never supposed to be cast away, and they're never to be pushed away. Does that make sense? That's hard. It's uncomfortable. Another reason Christianity won't ever be comfortable is because problems should never be swept away. I want you to think about for a second the last time that you were startled. And not just kind of like caught off guard like a little bit like, oh, didn't see you there. But like jump out of your shoes, like screech a little bit, kind of startled. I want you to think about the last time this happened to you. For me, it was a few weeks ago. I was on the phone in my office. I kid you not, I was talking to someone about salvation My back was to the door, and during my conversation, two of our more mature staff members, and by mature, I mean pre-adolescent boys, Nick and Tristan, (laughs) snuck into my office and hid under my desk. The conversation went pretty long, five, six, seven minutes. I turn around pretty confident in what the Lord gave me to say to this lady about salvation, and they both stand up. I screamed like a little boy in the throngs of puberty. Like, (laughs) they nearly gave me a heart attack. And I nearly gave them their pink slips right there in that moment. So, if you're looking for a ministry job, we might have some options coming open here in a couple of months. This is what I think actually happened, though, here in this moment. Because... It's as if this guy is hiding under the desk. As soon as the guys reach the shore, what happens? This evil, demon-possessed man comes and starts shrieking and yelling at the disciples. You talk about being startled. Now, we've already seen Christ deal with the demon-possessed, but this guy's condition, it just seems different. It seems far worse, doesn't it, than the others? He is tormented to the point that he acts like a wild animal. The text says that this man is so demented, he only communicates through loud groans and howls. In addition to howling, it says that the man hurts himself. And so those who have ever struggled with cutting kind of relate to this guy in this moment. They can sympathize with him. 
You do anything to distract yourself from the pain that is inside, or you're trying to show others just how much pain there is on the inside, and so you hurt yourself. But do you know what's worse than this man's problem? It's how that culture dealt with this man and his problem. Apparently, their solution to his predicament was to bind him and banish him. It's a nice one-two punch, isn't it? Let's just bind him up and kick him out. We want to stay comfortable. And what he's dealing with is extremely uncomfortable, so it's bind and banish. This community beat, dehumanized, and ostracized those who had complicated personal problems. Or maybe those who had extreme mental disabilities. Those who were battling demons, literally and figuratively. They tried to sweep this man and the problem under the rug, out of the way. In this society, it was out in the caves, out in the tombs, the outskirts of town. He was forced to live in a cemetery on the fringe of the territory. He was required to live alone, to fight his demons by himself. They chained him up, and they beat him up. They wanted to shut him up. The community was so uncomfortable, they did everything to dismiss and discard him. And friends, I wish that I could stand up here confident and say, man, times have changed, haven't they? But have they? It just doesn't feel like times have changed. It is easier and so much more comfortable to sweep difficult people and difficult problems, just sweep them away. And we do it all the time. Those with developmental disabilities are banished to the streets and to crappy shelters here in town. They look like the tombs, the caves, the cemeteries, don't they? Those with physical or mental problems are ostracized to places like mental wards, psych units, senior care centers. We literally bind up and sometimes literally chain up those in the prisons and detention centers because these are complicated problems and people that we don't know what to do with. So what are we going to do? We're going to bind them up and we're going to banish them because, listen, i got to be comfortable. And you're making me extremely uncomfortable, Mr. Demon-Possessed Man. And my comfort is what I worship, and so I've got to get you out of here. I've got to sweep you away. See, just like the folks in Mark chapter 5, there is a problem with the way we deal with problems. Would you agree? We actually don't deal with them. We worship comfort so much that we just sweep them away, out of sight, out of mind. But Jesus says, no, 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 you don't sweep problems away. You deal with them head on. You tackle these problems. You solve these problems. You be an agent of reconciliation. Problems are to be remedied. I believe with all of my heart that it will be a Christian empowered by the spirit of the living God who will initiate change in how we handle the mental illness crisis in this country. Because we have a crisis and we just keep sweeping it away. But it's going to take a Christian saying, enough of that. It's time we solve the problem. I believe with all my heart it's going to be a Christian, empowered by the spirit of the living God, who rethinks and redeems our prison system so that men and women who find themselves incarcerated can actually be truly rehabilitated. We have a problem. We just keep sweeping it away. But a Christian will step up and say, enough. It's time we solve this. I believe with all my heart it'll be a Christian empowered by the spirit of the living God that brings hope and healing to so many aging adults who are being disregarded by their family and dropped off at some doorstep. We got a problem, and we just keep sweeping it away. But it'll be a Christian that says, enough. It's time we solve this problem. 
Comfort and Christianity just don't go together because we, as Christians, have been called to solve very difficult challenges and problems in this world. Will it be easy? Will it be comfortable? Will it come naturally? No. It's going to push us way out of our comfort zone. And there's not an easy solution because it's not an easy problem. It's not an easy fix, but that doesn't mean we should shy away from it. We repair broken things. That's who we are. That's what we do. Broken hearts, broken homes. How about the bank's broken corporate headquarters? We fix these things. That's what we do as Christ followers. And that leads us to the last reason that Christianity and comfort don't go very well together. So upon seeing Jesus, the demon-possessed man starts screaming, Don't hurt me! Don't hurt me! He's crazy. And Jesus seems a little upset, kind of perturbed by this whole situation. And so he demands to know the demon's name. And I love this. This is a power play on Jesus' part. Guess what? When it comes to Jesus, there are no anonymous complaints. I love that. You want to complain? You better put your name on it. Who's saying this? That's what Jesus is asking. Who's saying this? Who are you? What's your name? So the evil spirit tells Jesus that his name is Legion. Legion is a military term describing a group of 6,000 Roman soldiers. So in other words, the man is saying this. I feel like there are 6,000 evil enemy spirits inside of me, raging war against me. And they force me to do whatever they want. There's an evil army in me, and I'm losing the battle on a daily basis. The evil spirit then asks Jesus to not destroy him, and he begs to be cast not too far away, actually to be cast into some pigs. Apparently, demons need a host they can't just kind of float in the air, and so they need to go back into a living creature of some sort. And so for some reason, Jesus thinks that's a great idea. He grants their request. So they go into the pigs, and then they do to the pigs what they were trying to do to the man, which was what? Destroy him. Because that's the only thing the devil ever wants to do, is steal, kill, and destroy so he was inside of the man, or the legion was inside of the man. Now they're inside the pigs. They caused the pigs to go so crazy, they run off the hillside to their own death. This is wacky, crazy stuff, isn't it? That's what everybody was saying, at least Mark 5.14. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and to the surrounding countryside, spreading the news of what they saw as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there, fully clothed, perfectly sane. If you have your Bible, underline, highlight, circle that. The man they feared so much, the man they tried to avoid at all costs, this man is now free. They were all afraid, though, it says. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading, Mark 5, 17, the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. So as you can imagine, everybody who sees what had just happened runs off to tell all their friends, right back kind of in the city center. Like, you won't believe this. This is just crazy. So they run off to tell their friends. Then all the friends run back to see it for themselves. And when they get there, they notice two things. First, they notice that this crazy man the one they bound, the one they banished, the one that is sitting there. Right now, he's fully clothed. He's perfectly sane. This guy, they tried to avoid him. They chained him up. They cast him aside. He made them so uncomfortable. He is now fine, and he's fully alive. 
They were powerless to fix him, to help him, but Jesus did it. I love this so much. So they see the man. They see the person that was healed. But what else do they notice when they come on the scene? The pigs are gone. Where are all the pigs at? Maybe they're used to the countryside, like being filled with them. Maybe they kind of looked over the edges like, wow, that's a lot of dead, drowning pigs. I don't know how they notice, but the pigs are gone. So they notice the person that's just been healed, and they notice the pigs are gone. And what did they prioritize? What did they focus more on? What did they care more about? The pigs. How do we know that? Because the request they make, verse 17, the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. That has to be one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. This community is asking Jesus, the miracle man who just stilled the sudden storm, the miracle man who just solved the problem this city couldn't figure out how to solve, redeemed this man, exercised this demon. They asked Jesus to leave them alone and get the heck out of town. Why? Because they preferred pigs over helping people. One would think that the town would have been overjoyed. Like, man, we didn't know what to do in that situation, and you helped it, like you brought healing. This is incredible. What else can you do? Like, you would have thought they wanted Jesus and the power of the gospel to be there and, and to do all kinds of amazing things, other remarkable things, but the opposite was true. They asked him to leave. Why? Because helping this person came at the expense of their pigs. They prioritized pigs over hurting people. Pigs. Let's bring this home a little bit because I don't think that this whole pigs thing is probably resonating. I mean, how many of you have a pet pig at home? Anybody? Okay. I wasn't, well, maybe one. Okay, awesome. Emma, thank you for raising your hand. I doubt that many of us have ever seen a drove of pigs, right? But here's what this means for us. Churches collectively and Christians individually can become so passionate about their own personal pursuits, their own personal possessions, their own personal preferences, that they can stop caring about lost people. They make their passions a priority over lost people. And one of the core tenets of the Christian faith is to be so passionate, so, so zealous for Jesus that you will give up anything, you'll give up everything if it means one person might come to know him. I no longer live. What does the verse say? It is now Christ who lives in me. There is no I. There is no Thomas anymore. It's just about others. I'm good. God took care of me. Now I need to take care of others. This should be our highest priority. But I kid you not, friends, in all of my ministry, in my 20 years of professional ministry, I wouldn't say professional, I would just say paid. It's been amateur on many, many years. I've met a handful of people who have that zeal, who have that desire. I'll give it all up. I'll change everything if it means reaching the lost. Whatever I like, it doesn't even matter. What, what do the lost need? I've only met a handful of people that have truly prioritized hurting people. Do you know what a majority of my conversations revolve around as a minister? Pigs. Pigs. And I'm not talking about my obsession with bacon cheeseburgers, although I do have one. People care more about the lighting or the mood or the songs we sing during worship than the fact that lost people aren't coming into worship. Pigs. 
People care more about what type of crackers we have at the Lord's table than the fact that people have never heard an invitation to the table. Pigs. People care more about where we stand on certain hot topics in the church than what people will do when they stand before the Lord. Pigs. You, you see what I'm saying here? Do these things matter? Yes. But they matter only as, as much as those pigs mattered. Do you not think that Jesus was not going to take care of the shepherds? Like, do you not think that he was going to bring 4,000 pigs to them or 6,000 pigs or, or give them a new profession or a new calling? Was the miracle man just going to be like, sorry, guys, this guy was freed, but it's at your expense. We're going to talk about this next week. You have to be here for the feeding of the 5,000. That story is not what you think it is. So much is happening in this moment. Pig guys, whatever you call a pig herder, pig shepherd, whatever, piggard. I got you. But they didn't trust him. They didn't trust that you can help people and Jesus will still take care of you too. And you know what? Even if he doesn't take care of me, I'd rather you help people. Isn't that a mindset that we should all adopt in this place? When you prioritize pigs, you will run Jesus off. And maybe that's why so many churches, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, are shutting down. Right? You see the headlines and you see all the kind of, you know, the newsreels that are out there. Churches are dying. Christianity is fading. Well, it's because we're prioritizing pigs. And what do pigs do? They go crazy and they run off cliffs. They die. But hurting people, lost people, broken people, now that's a cause worth living for. Amen? That's why we exist, is for people, not for pigs. Jesus would never want our preference to be our pigs, our personal passions, pursuits, preferences. He would always want them to be hurting people. And when we do this, when we prioritize hurting people, we won't drive Jesus away. He'll stick around and he will blow us away. Watch this. Mark 5, verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you, how merciful he's been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of that region, again, the Decapolis, and began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. So Jesus says yes two times in this story. He says yes to the demon's request to go into the pigs. And then he says yes to the townspeople's request to go home. But then he says no. And who does he say no to? He says no to the demon-possessed man, the sane man, the man who's fine now. He says no to him and his request to come along. Why? Because he doesn't want him to leave his hometown. He wants him to transform his hometown. He doesn't want him to get out of here. He wants him to change what's happening here. So you stick around. And you tell him this remarkable thing that has been done to you. And guess what he does? That. Jesus, in a few chapters, will cross back over the sea once again. He'll go across the tracks. He'll go across town once again. 4,000 people will be waiting for him on the shore. That's when he feeds the 4,000. It's across the sea. They are all so excited that Jesus is back. What happened? Thousands of people were running Jesus off. You asked us to give up our pigs. Well, we're asking you to leave. And now they love that he's here. They want him to be here. What changed? This man. This man's testimony. 
There was a show out years and years ago. I, I forget what it was called now, but there was this tagline for the show, and it was, save the cheerleader, save the world. Does anybody remember what that show was? Heroes, thank you. I knew there was somebody else, like mid-30s, that knew exactly what I was talking about. Heroes, save the cheerleader, save the world. Like super cheeseball line, right? What's he talking about? Well, there's this one character, this cheerleader, and she had this power. If you could get her, if you could save her, she would actually be able to save the whole world. You have a cheerleader in your life. Some of you very literally, like I know someone's dating a cheerleader in here, right? But you have somebody in your life, and I think the Lord is actually asking you in this moment, would you see her as this person who may be able to reach thousands of other people for Jesus? You save the cheerleader, you might save the world. Save the demon-possessed man, you save 4,000 people. What does that look like for us? I don't ever want to push Jesus away because my priorities are out of whack. I would rather Jesus stay put and blow me away. Anybody else up for that? Anybody else want to take that ride? Anybody else want to see 4,000 young people across the street come to know the Lord? Yeah. Then we have to get uncomfortable. We have to be really uncomfortable. Because everything good, everything that we want, everything that God has for us is outside of our comfort zones. That's true for this church. It's also true for your life. How do I know it to be true? Because if it was in your comfort zone, you'd already have it. But everything good, everything great, everything remarkable is outside your comfort zone. Go get it. Go get it. So church, would you constantly push me to get outside of my comfort zone? And would you allow me to constantly push you to get outside of your comfort zone? Because I don't ever want Jesus to run away. I want him to blow us away. OJ and toothpaste? Mm, terrible combination. But the worst combination is comfort and Christianity. I hope that we will never forget that lesson. Let me pray that over us now. God, what an incredible story. What an incredible chapter Mark chapter 5 really is. It teaches us so much. Going across the sea was so uncomfortable for the disciples. They had to go to people that didn't think like them or look like them or believe like them. They had to go to folks that didn't even like them. And what a challenge that is for us. So I pray over this church now, God, that we would never cast people away, that we would never sweep problems away, and that we would never prioritize things in such a way where we would cause Jesus to back away or run away. Instead, Father, would you see us as worthy recipients to be blown away? Would you do something remarkable in and through this church and every person in it? In your name we pray, amen. Kind of on that note, a couple of uh, little quick takeaways. Easter is three Sundays away. Can you believe that? That's crazy. It's so cold outside, it just doesn't feel like Easter, does it? But it's coming. Easter's coming. So I want to challenge you to do three things kind of as we anticipate that, that great day. The staff has already been praying and thinking and has such high hopes for that day. And so would you join us in praying for Easter Sunday? In your prayer time, would you lift up that day and would you say, God, would you blow us away? Would we see something truly remarkable happen in and through this church on that day? 
Second, would you post? So you're going to pray and you're going to post. Would you post an invite? Would you post a comment? Would you say, God is doing great things at University Church? Would you go give us a Google review? I know it sounds silly, but that's how people look for churches on Easter Sunday. Church near me, click. So would you pray about it? Would you help post about it? And then would you invite some people? The other two are kind of comfortable. You can pray and post, and it's pretty comfortable. I'm going to ask you to get outside your comfort zone just a little bit. Would you invite every person you run into over the next three weeks to Easter Sunday? We're going to talk about the greatest miracle of all time. You think the pigs is crazy? Wait till you hear about the resurrection. We're talking about from death to life. And so many people need to hear that story, don't they? There are so many demon-possessed in our city that are broken and hurting alone, that have been banished, branded, bruised. And it's our responsibility to say, come, come be a part of this. Come and experience death and life. Be transformed from one to the other. So would you invite your coworkers, your classmates, the server at the restaurant this afternoon, the gal who, I was going to say, checks you out at the grocery store, but they don't even have any checkout people anymore. The gal who's watching you check yourself out at the grocery store, how about you invite her? Invite them. Step out of your comfort zone. Challenge yourself to spread the gospel, to spread the hope of resurrection life. And on Easter Sunday, I pray we will be blown away. We can't do that, obviously, without Jesus, and we do it all for Jesus. And that's how we're going to end our time together this morning, by coming to the table. If you're new to this church, you may have never seen this before. This is called communion. It's a moment for us to take two little elements, two little symbols, if you will. It's a piece of bread broken, representing Jesus' body on the cross, broken for us. And it's a little cup of juice representing his blood on the cross, shed for us. And so in this moment, we say, Jesus, it's all about you. It's all for you. And we want to bring glory to you. And so whatever your needs are this morning, whatever you need Jesus to do or to be, come to the table this morning and ask him. He's a good God. He'll give you exactly what you need. Let's go to the table now.